You're listening to the Choose to Be podcast with host Alana Gordon and Amy Wolsey. As you join us each week, we will provide you with tools, resources, and knowledge to help you navigate your healing journey. Choose recovery, choose healing, choose you. Welcome to the Choose to Be podcast. Thank you for joining our conversation today. We are talking about self-compassion. But this topic came as a result from experiences that some women have had as they listened to the past episode that we did on self-betrayal. And so as Alana and I were talking about some of these experiences, we both just decided that today was going to uh, be on self-compassion. Now, we did mention last episode how important it is to listen to that episode without judgment on yourself without shame. Now I know easier said than done, Amy, but this is why the work in self-awareness is so important. Being aware of where you're at in that state of self-judgment or shame, and then being able to drop into self-compassion, which is why we want to talk about that today. But I want to reiterate trauma creates in us these really, these emotional needs that feel so big. And when the person who we thought was part of our support system is now not safe and we realize they maybe haven't been safe for a while, it creates even more intense emotions, which then tend to get interpreted to mean that there's something wrong with us. But in reality, there's something wrong with the situation, not you. And your big emotions are just an indicator of that. Okay. And so we're talking, like we talked about in last episode, trauma that's experienced from that chaotic environment that's in a chaotic environment for a long period of time where you don't feel safe to share what you need. And honestly, this can stem back to childhood. All right. So this can exist in, in your life for a very long time, but if you exist in this space where it's not safe for you to express how you feel and what you need and when we've experienced these kinds of the situation with betrayal trauma, that's typically the case, then you don't make room for those needs. And so then over time, this just creates that deeply ingrained pattern of self-betrayal. And it's linked to your sense of being okay in the world. All right. So when you look back on your experiences of self-betrayal, please know that there is a reason why you your behavior was such trauma responses play into this in a huge way. Lack of information plays into this in a huge way, which is why self-compassion is our topic today. Yeah. And, and so much of it, when you're going through trauma is safety seeking because where your safety feels like it's been ripped out from under you, naturally you go into a state of how do I get safe. In the APSATS trauma model, they talk about phases of healing and of recovery. And phase one is all about safety and stabilization. Without that safety and stabilization, we can't do the rest of the work. And so that safety and stabilization in the beginning may look like quote unquote to the outside world unhealthy, but really it is about that protection. And so just to kind of reiterate what you said, Amy, is 
Absolutely. Looking back with that self-compassion and using that episode as a way to go, okay, what do I want to do moving forward? And again, a reminder that this particular episode really was for women who are further along in their journey. So if you have found out or have had recent disclosures in the last year, we may not be anywhere near looking at self-betrayal. It's okay. Maybe we can pull some nuggets out of there that you go, okay, moving forward, I don't want to just have sex because he wants to have sex. Or moving forward, I want to start practicing having a voice, or I want to start practicing not putting myself on the bottom of the list. Those things are all good as you're ready to start implementing them. I see so many women in the beginning who hear things and they're like, I got to do this. Oh, I got to do that. Oh, no, no, I need to do this. And then they start stacking up this list of all of these things they should be doing in their recovery. And we, that type of pressure is not helpful or sustainable. Mm -hmm. You just, it's not, you're not going to sustain that way for sure. And then what I was thinking about too, with some of the experiences that were shared with us was that self-criticism and how we criticize the way that we handled a past experience. And that's just something to really be aware of also. This is, I think, another way of the, where the brain tries to defend against that danger. When I think I've done something wrong, like my big go-to automatic thought that my brain loves to offer me. And so when I think that I've done something wrong, then there shows up criticism and it's just like raining havoc on me. But as I pay closer attention to my own inner self-critic, I'm really shocked how much it shows up. And so again, if I'm not aware then feeling that threat puts stress on my mind and my body. And then it leads to anxiety. And then it leads to that emotional overwhelm. And we become the attacker and the attacked. Mm. So you're talking about with just all of this, we've got to really just be aware, take it one step at a time in your healing. I've never heard it phrased that way. I become the attacker and the attacked. And that's so interesting to think about because I do, I see this with a lot of women, especially ones who have been in abusive relationships where there's been a ton of gaslighting. Oh my gosh. Yes. They with time start to twist and turn and gaslight themselves. So I love that you're slowing this down and talking about this and really recognizing what are those thoughts coming up, what happens and really pinpointing those words so we can sort through them and find truth and reject all of those things that are not true and build in the self-compassion. I love it. So once you start to become aware of these patterns of self-betrayal, then you can start making some shifts. So I just want to offer a couple things to think about that I believe will help make a really big impact just with tiny shifts. When you're trying to move through this self-betrayal and into self-compassion. Number one is advocating for yourself. And I think this is a really hard one for a lot of us to do. I know it is, it used to be for me, not anymore, (laughs) but it used to be really hard for me to advocate for myself again, because of that, putting other people's needs before my own. So this means saying no to others who are hurting you. It means giving ourselves really what we need. 
And first we have to know what we need. We have a right to our needs being met. And then we have to go ahead and try to meet those needs for ourselves because no one can do this for you. You get to do that for yourself. Advocating for yourself isn't announcing to everyone what you need and then come bring it to me. Really that advocation is letting yourself know and speaking up and being mindful for yourself. Number two, stay in your bubble, control only what you have agency to control and then own it. Stay in your bubble. Number three, set boundaries. When we have a pattern of betraying the self, then it's really hard to set boundaries. Some of you probably are experiencing that. So having a lot of practice is going to help. And as always working one-on-one with someone with boundaries, when self-betrayal has been impacting that can also be really beneficial. And then the last one I just want to offer you is know your values, set those personal promises to yourself. And I think this really helps with self-trust as well. So really quickly, I want to give you like a personal example of why this is so important. When I first, it was probably about a year. No, it wasn't even a year after I left my marriage. I wrote on a piece of paper. I still have this in like in my attic in a bin, but I wrote on a piece of paper with a pen, things that I wanted to do for myself, things that I felt like I couldn't do, or that I was told I couldn't do. And I wrote this list out of all these things that I was either going to start doing, or I had a goal. And one of those things I wanted to do was go to spring training games for my favorite baseball team every year. Now it just so happened that I lived in Arizona where they showed up and played every season. So it was a lot easier to do that when I was single, but that was something that I wanted to promise myself that I would do. So just last night, I am going through my calendar. I'm trying to figure out dates for everything, all of my groups. Anyways, I'm on my calendar and I go, oh, I'm just not going to be able to make it to spring training. I'm just going to have to just miss this year. And immediately, because I had made this promise to myself, my higher self spoke the hell up. <laughs> it was no, literally it was like that sassy California. No, just totally popped out. And I was like, oh, you're right. And I, put it in my calendar and I will report. I booked my tickets and bought the tickets to the training games and everything. So making these promises to yourself and setting these values really does make a difference so that you don't betray. I was about to do that. I was about to self-betray. And because I made that promise, my higher self spoke up. So those are some things that I believe um, will really help move you into self-compassion. I love it. And self-compassion, I feel like is one of those areas that we get really confused on what it is. And we confuse self-compassion with self-indulgence. We think self-compassion, if we have this compassion for ourselves, then we're going to be indulgent. We're going to be selfish. We're going to not have motivation. We're going to let ourselves get away with everything. And it's so not true real self-compassion, which is what we want you to be working on. A is so essential to healing, but B real self-compassion actually can motivate you. Real self-compassion can be so good for you. Just like a super fast example, my children, if I don't know, say they need to do their homework and I'm like, you lazy piece of crap, just get up and get it done. How much motivation, I would never speak to my kids that way, but how much motivation would they have to do their homework? 
probably not a whole lot other than I want mom off my back. But if I said, Hey, that homework looks huge. That looks like it's really hard. And you want some help there or anything I can do to help get the process moving while they may not be super excited, their level of motivation, they're going to feel heard and accepted and is going to be way more likely. So this with ourself, this self-compassion, not self-indulgence, but it's going to be so important that we have. And really quick, Kristen Neff, she's like the guru of self-compassion. You can go to selfcompassion.org and she's got books and resources and videos. She's so awesome. But she breaks self-compassion down into three main components of what is self-compassion. Because what was really interesting to me is when I really started this, how much I didn't actually understand self-compassion and how much the world we live in doesn't understand self-compassion. So it involves number one, being kind and caring towards yourself rather rather than being um, harshly self-critical. Number two, it's framing imperfections in terms of shared human experiences, meaning we all make mistakes and letting those mistakes be human, normal, expected. And then the third is seeing things clearly without ignoring or exaggerating problems. And if you've listened to the podcast for a while, Amy and I talk about this all of the time is like practicing seeing what reality is. And so we're not ignoring or exaggerating. We're trying to see things with clarity. So along the same lines, let's continue to talk about some of these uh, false ideas of self-compassion, false definitions of self-compassion versus the truth. So another false idea of self-compassion is that it makes us weak and vulnerable. And the truth is that self-compassion is a reliable source of that inner strength that moves you into courage, that helps foster that resilience, that emotional resilience as well, when we're faced with so much difficulty. And there has been a lot of research that shows that self-compassionate people are better able to cope with those tough situations like divorce and trauma and chronic pain. So it does not make you weak. So often we, and I think it subconsciously correlate these negative effects to self-compassion or fears to self-compassion. But yeah, just like you said, there's such healthy benefits and it even goes on to the research shows that self-compassionate people engage in healthier behaviors, like exercising, eating well, drinking less, going to the doctors more regularly because they practice being kind to themselves, to their body. I think about even just as a mother, my kids get their dentist appointments every six. I'm just like clockwork. I'm great with that when they need their wellness checks. But when it comes to me and getting myself to the dentist, getting myself to the doctor, I struggle with that. And recognizing in those periods of my life where I really am focusing on self-compassion, those things come way better because I'm slowing down and being aware of what I actually need. You know, you just said something slowing down that triggered another experience I had last night. And I want to just capitalize on that phrase you just used is slowing down. So I move very fast. My brain moves fast. I walk fast. I talk fast. Sometimes I drive fast and I just do everything fast. 
I can't even walk through the airport slow. I like on that little short, which I don't even know the point <laughs> of that thing, but that little whatever walkway that makes you move fast. I get on that so that I could speed walk faster. <laughs> it's not a time to rest. <sighs> therapy. I want to move really quick through therapy. I don't want to take any longer than I absolutely have to do this. So last night I was working really late trying to do a million things. And I was feeling lots of guilt that I was working late. It was already 12 hours. And I was feeling now some even shame that I'm a bad mom. I'm a bad wife. They're all out there. I'm not. And all of that stuff. And I get this text from my mom with this song and guess what the song is called? slow down. And it's by an opera singer, which I love opera um, music, but anyways, by this opera singer in Sissel can't pronounce her last name, but I hit play when she sings the words slow down, tears just start falling. And I literally slowed myself down. And once I did that, those feelings came that I was avoiding of guilt and shame like they were there. I saw them. I felt them. And I dropped into that self-compassion and I loved myself where I was at. There was a reason why I was working. And I even dropped into self-love. I love my determination. I love my passion and commitment. And it just moved me through those intense feelings because I slowed down hands down has been huge for me personally, because I do move so fast in to acquire self-compassion is to slow down. I love that. I love that so much. And it's funny because as you're talking about that, that fast, like your brain moves fast, you go fast, you drive fast, totally me. But then when I step into this role, people would never know it. They think, that I go very slow and it's no, this actually has been years of training to slow how I talk, to slow and give people more time to think, to slow myself and my experiences. And so if you're going, I don't know how to do that. I don't think I can do that. Trust me, it, you absolutely can build it in, but it takes a lot of work. So much freaking work. I've improved, but it's, you wouldn't really know because it's still pretty fast. <laughs> <laughs> if you knew me about 10 years ago, you'd be like, holy shit. So yeah, it does. It takes a lot of practice. Okay. So next one is self-compassion is not making excuses for bad behaviors. Self-compassion actually provides the safety needed to be able to admit mistakes rather than needing to blame someone else for them. So I want to say that again, self-compassion provides the safety needed to admit mistakes rather than needing to blame someone else for them. So they actually allow you more ownership and not making those excuses because you can see with compassion and own them. So that defensive part of your brain starts to calm down. Research Which takes shows, you out of victim. That takes yeah. out a victim mentality. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. And research shows self-compassionate people take greater personal responsibility for their actions and are more likely to apologize if they've offended. So that comes from self-compassion as a side note too, when I'm working with men who are struggling with addictions, we absolutely work on self-compassion. And sometimes that's scary to their spouse 
because they go, excuse me, like they don't need compassion. They've been compassionate enough to let themselves do whatever they want, but that's not self-compassion. This is essential in their work and in your work. I'm so glad you brought that up. Really. That's such a critical point to make, especially if you are the partner of the addict, because we don't want any of these words, self-love, self-compassion, right? We don't want them to experience. We want them to experience pain and suffering because that's what we're experiencing. And so it, yeah, it feels probably uncomfortable to hear what Alana just said, but I want to just back that up hundred percent that anybody who is struggling, whether you're struggling on the side of the betrayed or the betrayer, it's always an inside job. It's always an individual inside job and they have to do their own work inside first. We want them to start doing the relational work to make us feel better. And it just doesn't work that way. So anyways, I just love that you pointed that out. Do you want to go into the next one? Oh yeah. Okay. The next one, we think that self-compassion isn't going to motivate us, but self-criticism is going to motivate us. And that is not true either. So like I was saying a little bit earlier, that self-critic tends to undermine self-confidence and then leads to this fear of failing and my big automatic fear of getting it wrong. So if we're self-compassionate, then we will still be able to have that motivation to reach our goals, move forward no matter what happens, not because we're weak or wrong or inadequate, but because we care about ourselves and we want to live in our potential. So self-compassionate people have high personal standards. They just don't beat themselves up when they fail. Yeah. And just if you're recognizing that you're struggling with this one, here's a little self-compassion is that a lot of parenting that was done a generation ago was using fear and criticism and shame as a motivator. And so if you were raised that that motivated you or got your feet moving, it's really common to use those same tactics on yourself as an adult. I really want to get in shape. So we look in the mirror and we grab all the parts that have maybe a little extra fat or we pull our wrinkles or I don't know, whatever that we're shaming ourselves or criticizing ourselves in an attempt to, if I feel bad enough, then I will do this thing. And while it may give you short term motivation, it will not give long lasting change. Long lasting change comes through that self-love and that self-compassion. Yep. I always say you cannot hate yourself into change. Mm -mm. You have to love yourself into that change. Yep. Okay. Next one is there is a big fear that self-compassion can lead to self pity. And interestingly enough, self-compassion is actually the antidote to self-pity. Self-pity says, woe is me, poor me. Yet self-compassion recognizes that life is hard for everybody. And self-compassion recognizes that we are all having this human experience that's difficult. And so we can, again, find that ground of, yes, this is hard and difficult and recognize that and own that, but not fall into that victim mentality. And again, studies have shown that self-compassionate people 
are more likely to gain perspectives of their own situation rather than focusing on their own distress. And when we gain perspective of the situation, we can recognize there's distress in there, but we don't go down that vortex of distress, that vortex of woe is me, there's nothing I can do. We're able to find a little more balance. There are self-compassionate people also are more likely to be able to not get stuck in how bad things are. And so they typically have higher mental well-being. They have better mental health because they can find that balance. Yeah. It moves into that acceptance piece too. When we're judging ourselves or shaming ourselves or even blaming the circumstance or another person for our distress or our pain, that's not acceptance. That's not seeing things as they really are seeing your emotion as it really is in your body at this moment. And that's why we get stuck. And yeah, that, com- that compassion for yourself, that love for yourself, where you are right now in the moment, seeing things as they really are making space for what is, and then making space for pain is how it's going to move through and not get stuck. Exactly. So as we're getting close to wrapping up, there is one piece I think is really good to bring in is mindfulness mm-hmm. because we, we talked about slowing down. Mindfulness is one of these tools that when you research trauma and you look at evidence-based practices that are best to heal trauma, one of the top three is mindfulness. And we can't really have self-compassion without some level of mindfulness some level of awareness, that slowing down, that recognizing. So I think it would be really good if we just take a minute to make space for how important mindfulness is in this process of trying to build the self-compassion. Yeah. And let's take a little space to, (laughs) to acknowledge how many people just went, (laughs) because that word mindfulness meditation, that has been a really hard thing for me to practice, like really hard. So I want to just validate all of you who just rolled your eyeballs. However, I want you to just trust us. It really, truly has made such an impact in my life. I did not believe people when they were saying this. I did not believe my therapist, when she did not believe my coach, but as I have implemented this mindfulness you're talking about, I just want to share my two cents about my own personal experience with this. I hated it. And sometimes I still am like, Oh, but I always am so glad I did and see the difference that it brings. So there's a difference between mindfulness, um, and self-compassion, right? There's, we make space for both, right? Yeah. And I think with mindfulness, it's that slowing down, having without judgment, an awareness of our inner experience and what we're thinking and what we're feeling. And then self-compassion, it focuses more on adding that element of caring for the experiencer. So caring for yourself. So they're, they're both interconnected, but yeah, definitely there's some difference there. So mindfulness would be like, okay, what am I experiencing right now? What's happening in my body? When emotion is showing up, what is that emotion telling me? What are my thoughts? That's the mindfulness piece. And then the self-compassion piece is, okay, now what do I need? 
What do I need in this moment as I'm aware of what I'm experiencing? Yeah. And you can see how those two are so like hand in hand Mm -hmm. where mindfulness says, feel your suffering with spacious awareness. Self-compassion says, be kind to yourself when you do suffer. When we can have mindfulness and self-compassion together, they both allow us to live with less resistance towards not only other people, but for ourselves. And then if we can fully accept that things are painful and then be kind to ourselves because they're painful, we can be in our pain with greater ease. I'm going to say that again. If we can fully accept when things are painful and be kind to ourselves because they're painful, we can be in that pain with greater ease. So mindfulness can reduce your pain level. And one of the number one questions women ask when they come to get support is how do I get out of pain? Yeah. Self-compassion can help you get out of. So here's my challenge to you is as you've listened to this, a lot of times with podcasts, we go, oh, that's nice. Yeah, that's good. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. And then we finish the podcast or we arrive at our location because we were listening in the car and then life goes on. What I would love for you to do is I would love for you to just take two minutes before running off to the rest of your day and write down three ways that came to your mind or that you can think of right now that you can be just a little bit more self-compassionate and put them somewhere, put them on the wallpaper of your phone, put them on your mirror, put them somewhere so you can remember and start implementing this self-compassion for you to be able to continue to move forward and to grow and to heal. Thank you so much for being part of our conversation this week. Thank you for hanging out with us. And we look forward to seeing you all next week. Hey everyone, before you go, we want to announce a course that therapist Kimberly Day and myself have created called Elements of Abuse. This is a psychoeducational course that will be held starting February 13th for three weeks, so three sessions, and we're going to be talking about how abuse might be showing up in your relationship, so learning how to recognize it. It's going to come with a relationship assessment that you'll take that Kim brilliantly created, and we'll be going over that with you as well. Understanding how your partner's sex addiction can relate to abuse in your relationship and learning tools to create your safety and find healing and just so much more. So if you're interested in this, spots are limited. Head over to the show notes and click that link or go to chooserecoveryservices.com under courses. Now you don't have to be married to do this either. I have clients who are divorced and as they're healing, part of that is recognizing how abuse has showed up in their relationship and it's really been helping them with their awareness and education. And so it's a great resource because as always, it is up to you to choose your healing, choose recovery, and of course, to choose you. Take care, everybody.